Please sit comfortably. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, everyone on Zoom. Normally, um, on a Tuesday night before sitting, I get a chance just to have a, a reflection to put a Dharma talk um, together. Um, but tonight, I've been, as you know, I've been writing an essay on each of the precepts, and I was absorbed in writing one today. And uh, so, I thought I'd kill two birds with one stone. I know that's not a very good Buddhist metaphor, <laughs> but um, it'll do. And I'd read to you the, um, the essay that I wrote. So this is um, the sixth precept, um, not to speak of others' faults, but to speak out of loving kindness. The first five precepts are common to all schools of Buddhism. The next five, including this precept, are part of the extended Bodhisattva's vows of the Mahayana tradition that developed out of early Buddhism. Zen is in the Mahayana tradition. A Bodhisattva is a person who works towards the liberation of all beings, not just their own enlightenment. The first five precepts potentially have more serious legal implications, whereas these further five are more to do with a refinement of character. Each human being has faults, so why is there a precept to caution us against talking about them? The reason is that each precept is a challenge to the egocentric self, and in this instance, it addresses a very common habitual way of thinking and speaking that is harmful to others as well as oneself. When we are preoccupied with the faults of others, we are so caught up in right and wrong that we cannot see the true nature of the other. Like drug addiction, it is a behaviour that can become so automatic it develops into a default synaptic pathway in the brain. To remind you again what the Buddha said, the thought becomes the word, the word becomes the action, the action becomes the habit, and the, ha and the habit becomes the character. Why do we develop this character trait? My belief is that it arises out of low self-worth and emotional insecurity. The surface thinking behind criticising the faults of others is often just a litany of complaints driven by sarcasm and contempt or smug childish amusement. For example, they are stupid people, they have no sense of refinement, no dress or good manners, and all they want to do is bludge off others. Or, their ideas are ridiculous, and they're just a bunch of narcissists that all belong to the same mutual admiration society. But the core belief behind criticising the faults of others often has a paranoid element to it. It often indicates a deep fear about trust and intimacy with others. I'm not sure whether I'm likeable or competent or sure of my ground. So I will criticise you and put you down first before you can see my vulnerabilities and criticise me, and then I will have the upper hand. Constantly thinking about the faults of others happens in the privacy of our own minds, which in turn shapes our attitude and shapes our speech. When we speak these thoughts out loud, it can either be aimed directly at another person will come out in a sneakier way in the form of gossiping. One of the leading couple therapists in the world, 
the clinical psychologist Dr. John Gottman, identifies habitual criticism of one's partner as one of the four major patterns that leads to divorce, criticism, contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling. It is very different to just assertively bringing up an issue that needs addressing. When we kindly yet assertively bring up an issue to resolve a conflict, we can address it without attacking the character of the other. Gottman refers to this as a soft startup rather than a hard startup. Needless to say, hard startups end badly. Anne and Richard were a husband and wife who came to see me for couple therapy. They had a domestic agreement that whoever prepared the dinner, the other did the washing up. Anne noticed that days were going by without Richard fulfilling his end of the bargain and the dishes would pile up in the sink. Her internal negative ruminations about him would eventually spill over into angry outbursts, calling him a selfish, misogynistic bastard who expected to be looked after just like his mother did. He in turn would retaliate, calling her a ball-breaking feminist who was a control freak. When couples attack each other like this, they trigger off each other's amygdala, the fight-flight centre in the brain that alerts us to danger. The stress escalates to such an extent that survival becomes the paramount goal rather than problem resolution. The prefrontal lobes of the brain don't get a looking to be a calm, rational or creative influence in solving problems. When Anne and Richard developed kinder ways of addressing each other's vulnerabilities, they found they, found they could resolve a lot of their marital differences without damaging their relationship. However, there are also more subtle ways of criticising the faults of others that is very common these days. It is couched in the authority of psychological language and is called pathologising. For example, I was looking on the internet today and it was very interesting. I discovered that you tick all the boxes for someone who was on the autism spectrum. No wonder this relationship hasn't been working for all these years. I've been living with someone who is incapable of empathy. Or, I was talking to my doctor about you today and we both thought that you have a borderline personality disorder. You should get some therapy for yourself. No wonder I've been driven to drink all these years. I've been living with someone who's unhinged. While it's possible there was some diagnostic accuracy in these statements, they were said in a manner that was critical and were not kind. If partners or friends or colleagues do have mental illnesses, one would hope that their condition would be treated with the same compassion as if someone had cancer or diabetes. Gossiping is another widespread indirect way in which people criticise the faults of others. It is a very damaging form of communication that is common in dysfunctional families and organisations. Evolutionary psychologists believe that gossiping plays a function in human society as a way of exchanging information. However, exchanging information, including information about the faults of others where it is necessary, is very different from the unkind nature of gossip. Gossip is a symptom of conflict avoidance. It occurs to the extent that people in a two-person relationship in families or organisations avoid directly speaking to each other to address their issues. They then bring in third parties to complain to, which brings in more third parties, 
and it can spread like a poisonous gas attack. You can't see it coming, but the unspoken judgment or ostracism can be deadly. People find it difficult to speak directly to others about their issues in two-party relationships because it's stressful to do so. The easy way out is to offload the stress by expressing it to others. When we position ourselves to be the insiders, gossiping about others, it is an attempt to seek safety in numbers, to be in a more powerful majority, so that we ourselves can feel safe from judgment and ostracism. The alternative is to develop the courage and the skills to address issues directly with others and to develop the humility to recognise our own vulnerabilities. However, there are instances in life where it is appropriate to discuss the faults of others. When I was a manager in a counselling organisation, I occasionally had to discuss a pattern of unethical behaviour in a staff member with other managers. As a psychologist, I'm frequently required to name domestic violence or coercive behaviours if they are occurring, or generally speaking, reflect back unpleasant truths to clients so they can grow. What is, the, what is important is the manner in which it occurs. I have a therapeutic rule for myself. If I'm feeling angry, I won't say anything until I'm calm. I'll also address specific behaviours rather than making generalised statements. I also address the consequences of the behaviour, that it may create harm or confusion to others, as well as oneself. And I encourage clients to be present to their vulnerabilities with compassion. To assist with situations where communication is difficult, I once invented an acronym as a reminder to myself and others how to practice right speech called T-Bank, letter T in bank. Before we speak, we can ask ourselves the questions, is it timely? Is it beneficial? Is it accurate? Is it necessary? Is it kind? If not, perhaps it's best to be silent. Speaking about others kindly can arise directly out of the insight that comes from practicing meditation. When we sit in meditation, we can experience ourselves in three different ways. I don't mean three consecutive ways, but three ways all at the same time. From the point of view of emptiness or suchness, we see ourselves in a non-judgmental way where there is no right or wrong. We can also see ourselves in a compassionate way where we are good friends with ourselves. Thirdly, we can also see ourselves in a discerning way where we can distinguish wholesome and unwholesome emotions like love and hate. What we also notice about ourselves in meditation is that we were always changing. When we practice the meditation method of mindful labeling, we witness our minds as a stream of thoughts, emotions, perceptions, and body sensations that are constantly tumbling through our conscious mind. If we can experience ourselves this way, then it is possible to see that others don't have a fixed self either. When we criticise the faults of others, rather than seeing their fluid, ever-changing nature, we freeze them into an ice block, and then we start to relate to a fixed belief of the other, rather than, the experience, rather than experience them as they really are in the present.
We don't have to deny or ignore the faults of others, but we can begin to see others through the same three lenses that we see ourselves, non-judgmentally, compassionately and with discernment. A mindful labelling intervention that I introduce to couples that often has a good result is to help them identify negative ruminating thoughts about their partner, label them, let them go and return to the present moment. They don't need to think positive thoughts, they just need to drop the fixation on the negative and it then helps to free their own mind to see their partner as they really are. We can extend this practice towards anyone that we are critical of. If we are still filled with critical thoughts, perhaps silence is the best option. If they've died down sufficiently, then a kind way of expressing ourselves can come forth and we can more easily move and we can more easily move from complaint mode to solution mode. The path of solution is the way of the Bodhisattva.